You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We're in a series entitled, A Fresh Start. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter number 5. And I trust that you have had a wonderful week. I'm looking forward to sending... a ton of uh, gift boxes around the world, and uh, one thing that uh, we didn't put in the bulletin there, but uh, we're going to have the children next week. Uh, I'm going to go this week and uh, spend the money that they raised on some boxes and some toys, uh, some toothpaste. No, that was funny how he did that. No toothpaste, right? And uh, things like that, and then let the kids do some of the packing. Uh, they'll do it this week amongst themselves. Our family will do it. But then uh, even as a church, our children's program will uh, put together some, uh, some boxes of their own and uh, so thankful uh, for that opportunity. I wanted to read a card um, from the Kumars uh, to you. It says, Dear Rebel Baptist Church, uh, he, it says, We feel so overwhelmed by your kindness your, that you extended to us. You've really gone above and beyond to make us feel welcomed and showered us with gifts. Thank you so very much. Thank you for the gift cards, the food, the Airbnb stay, your generous love offering on Sunday, taking care of the airfare and the rental car. Words cannot express our thankfulness to you. Your kindness will forever be cherished. Thank you for treating us like royalty for the personal cards from many of you. We will certainly be in prayer for RBC, your ministries, your lives, and health. We would love to hear from you. It reminds us there are so many dear saints holding the ropes. And uh, with much love and thanks, uh, Rakesh and Rebecca Kumar, and then all of the children, I want to thank you for uh, just uh, your your kindness to them over the weekend and uh, just your uh, your kind words to them. And uh, we were able to uh, just kind of send them off a little bit from the church for them to be able to enjoy a few days. One of the things they did before, well, they're getting ready to leave on the 30th, but one of the things they were able to do was go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium and spend the day down in Monterey and uh, enjoy some of that time. And so uh, let's continue to uh, be in prayer for them uh, as they get ready to head back for another term. And then also let's be in prayer for uh, the communities in and around uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, those families that were uh, affected by just these this heinous uh, crime, and uh, we, we, of course, we grieve uh, with the city of Pittsburgh. We grieve with the, uh, the Jewish community, and especially, of course, for the families uh, of the victims. There are currently now uh, 11 that have passed away, and uh, there are others that are still in uh, potential critical uh, condition there. And uh, we live in a nation that seemingly is full of hatred, But I want to tell you that we here at Redwood, we remain committed to demonstrating and uh, sharing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, committed to uh, continually pursuing uh, religious uh, freedom for all peoples and uh, paying and praying for a more civil and loving society. Uh, Any, hear me, any form of anti-Semitism is uh, just a despicable lie of the evil one and of Satan, and uh, so let's really be in prayer for uh, those folks, and then really just for our country. Uh, We need to unrevocably just literally reject uh, this kind of hatred. 
that is going about any toward any form of uh, religion. We're thankful for the free will that God gives us uh, to choose Him and to choose Christ, and we pray that many more uh, will, uh, will do so. Uh, but we, just, we, we stand with these people. We stand with uh, the nation of Israel as well uh, during this difficult time. Deuteronomy chapter uh, number 5. And uh, my prayer is that uh, this series has been a blessing to you uh, so far as we continue in a series entitled A Fresh Start. A Fresh Start. And uh, you've got a, a nation of Israel that was uh, really on just the brink of something new. And uh, Moses kind of gives them a history lesson, uh, and we will look back into that history lesson as we uh, go through the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, I'm going to read just one verse here this morning, and I have got an extremely long introduction, okay? And then we'll get back to these verses. I mean, extremely long. I hope nobody's hungry, okay? Don't worry, I'll barbecue you some food. I'm looking forward to that. This is a a highlight of mine every year. But let's look at just verse number 29 of Deuteronomy chapter number 5. We'll go away from it for a great length of time, and then we'll come back to Deuteronomy 5. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, Cultivate the Right Kind of Fear. This morning I want to help us cultivate the right type or kind of fear. Let's ask the Lord one more time to bless. Father, we thank You, God, for this day. We thank You for life, we thank you for breath, and uh, Lord, we have praised you with that here this morning, and we pray that that wouldn't just be on Sundays, that it would literally be our lifestyle, a life of worship. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we open up and we look into this chapter of Deuteronomy 5, we would glean from it, that we would not make the mistake of thinking it is some archaic old book, but rather that there are everyday truths for us today in 2018 and God what's going on in our country Lord I pray that there would be a healthy scriptural fear of you and Lord may that start with us this morning may that start in your local house here at Redwood today and God I pray that you would uh, be glorified and uh, Lord may I say only that which would be use full for you. And Lord, I pray you would take everything out of my thoughts and uh, Lord, help me pass over things in my notes that you would not want me to say here this morning. And uh, Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Children have an amazing capacity to remember things. Uh, we have the privilege now of, of having a homeschool group that meets on the property throughout the week. And the earliest ages, we're just kind of, we just pepper them with information just over and over and over again. And it's amazing how the littlest ones, even my five-year-old, how he can repeat things uh, that he has heard. They have an amazing capacity to memorize things. And uh, much of what you learn as a youngster as a little uh, boy or girl, you carry on into your life and those things stay with you. I'll never forget early on, 
in my life memorizing uh, many verses that maybe you also have memorized. Maybe verses like John 3.16 where it says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or maybe even a verse like Romans 5.8, God commends or demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we memorize verses like that. And uh, even some wrestlers make John 3.16 rather famous, right? Uh, Stone Cold, what was his name? Steve Austin or something like that. He liked even John 3.16. And so many people have memorized that. But other verses have also shaped my thinking in the way that I've lived. And one would be Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Or, or Hebrews 12, 29, for our God, we sang this just a moment ago, is a consuming fire. I wonder what you think this morning about planting those types of verses in the minds of children. One would ask, why would you want to plant in the mind of a young boy or the mind of a young child that is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God? Why would you want to impress upon a mind to have them associate God with the one that you want, him, want them to love, that He is a consuming fire? Why would you teach a child to remember this and to carry this with them into their soul and into their life and to speak to them on a daily basis? Some people today in our world would probably say that teaching these types of words to kids would be a form of abuse. I wonder what you think. I wonder if you think children should learn that it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I wonder what you think that if we should teach the next generation which are in here this morning that God is like a consuming fire. Now, you might not go to the lengths of saying well, that's a form of abuse, but you might be questioning, right, why, would you, why would you do that? Why would you, why would you teach them that, that the God is like a consuming fire? You want these children to, to, to run to God. You want them to love Him. Why would you place these thoughts into the lives of the next generation? Well, I was glad to learn these great truths as well as other great Scriptures of the love of God. And so I want us this morning to see from the Bible the place of godly fear in the Christian life. Oftentimes in the modern church of today, it is all about the love of God. And I'm all about the love of God. But sometimes we will shy away from some of these other areas and we are afraid that it's some like, you know, nasty uncle, you know, of Jesus and of God. But I want us to begin with this important distinction. And here's what the distinction is. There is a kind of fear that love will remove. And there's also a fear that love will bring. So there's a type of fear that, 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 that proper love is going to remove 
And then there's also a type of fear that love is going to bring into your life. And so let's start. Again, long introduction. I'm going to kind of educate us a little bit on what Moses means when he talks about the fear in Deuteronomy 5. So let's, well, let's start this with the first thought, the fear that love removes. So what kind of fear does, does love remove? Now we know that perfect love, that it, that it casts out fear. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. But there is a perfect love, the author of he, or John tells us, that, that casts out fear. But what kind of fear are we talking about? What kind of fear does a proper love or a love from God or understanding of His love, what is that what kind of fear does that actually cause to remove from your life? Well, we would say that love casts out the fear that keeps you hiding from God. Love casts out a fear that would keep you hiding from God. Some people believe that the fear of God and the fear of the Lord is to be more of like a, a you know, I'm scared of Him. And you would definitely see some of that early on in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice. This God says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? And he says, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And what does he say? And I hid myself. He's answering the question of Jesus or, or, or God's in the or garden there. And he says, where art thou, Adam? Okay. And so when Adam sinned, he hid from God. Now, there's something to be said about that. The fear that kept Adam from God was better than not fearing God at all. Far better that he hides from God than he just walks about in the garden and just in pride of knowing that he had sinned, knowing that he had disobeyed. And it's like, God, you know, I'm not afraid of you. Well, better to hide than to just walk as if there was no problem with his sin. It is better to have a sense of fear that keeps you from God than to have no fear of God at all because the Bible says it is only the lost okay, that have no fear of God. Those that do not know Christ as their Savior, the, the, the lost and dying world, they have no fear of God. The man that would come into a, you know, to, to, to a, to a synagogue like they did and just open fire and kill people, I, I, I don't know necessarily his testimony, but listen, there's no, there's no fear of God in that. But when God comes into the garden, his love overcomes his fear. He reaches out to Adam and he reaches out to Eve and he embraces them with his promise and his love. Early on in Genesis chapter 3, God literally puts, to, puts a picture of the gospel, slays the lamb of an animal and coats them with those skins. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no remission of sins. And so this this fear that caused Adam and Eve to, to, to hide from God because of sin. God walks into the garden, and it's His love, it's His extension of His grace that eliminates that fear. You don't have to hide from me, Adam and Eve. What are you, what are you hiding for? No, no, no. Come here. Let me, let me take care 
of the problem. And so we see a love that casts out fear. It keeps you from hiding God. But what else does love cast out? Love casts out the fear that keeps you from serving God. If you were to now jump into the New Testament, Jesus tells a a parable of a master that gives several servants many talents, right? Some ten, some five. And and he says, I want you to, I'm going to go away, and I want you to, you know, make do with this talent, make do with this money. And you know that a couple of them were able to go out there and to multiply that. But what did one of them do? If you know, if you've been in church long enough, one of the uh, servants, he took it and he dug a hole and he hid it, right? Let me ask you a question. Is it better to bury your money and save it than to go out like the prodigal son and waste it on riotous living? Yes, at least he had something to give back. The prodigal son in Luke 15, he didn't have anything to give back. But a man who knew his master, a man who understood his master's love would have done better than bury the talent in the ground. And so a love that comes from a a, a master, a a proper understanding of the love of God, you know what it's going to do? It's going to cast out the fear that will keep you from serving God. There is a fear that love removes. Perfect love casts out fear. We usually think of fear and love as alternatives. Where there is fear, then there is no love. Or where there is love, there is no fear. But love and fear, and the right kind of fear, they go hand in hand. They go beautifully, like some inseparable companion. I want you to think of cholesterol here for a minute, okay? All, most times we think of cholesterol as bad, but there's actually good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol. You want to shy away from the bad kind of cholesterol and you actually want to, you know, get some of the good cholesterol. Now, we've got people in here that are nurses. They can give you better education on that, okay? All right, you like that education? Uh, but they'll, uh, they, they can educate you far better than I can. But there's, think, of, think of kind of fear as kind of like cholesterol, so to speak. We want more of the good kind. Some of us think that there's only one kind of fear, and that it's bad, and that's the problem. Okay, we need to deepen our understanding of the fear that is the fear of the Lord and the kind that is the fear that is a sign of good health. Okay, and so there's a fear that that the proper kind of love is going to remove. The fear of hiding from God. Don't hide from Him. You don't need to if you're in Christ. No reason to hide from Him. Okay, We have a wonderful Savior. We have a wonderful God that when He asks you to serve, you don't have to be afraid of what He's going to ask you to do. Because the proper love, we've got a wonderful Master, and He takes away that fear. But let me say secondly, again, all by way of introduction, the fear that love brings. The fear that love brings. or the, 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 the love of God will bring about a proper fear in your life. Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is, I want you to follow this verse, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. If the only kind of fear was a bad kind, this verse would say, 
with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are not to be feared. In other words, since God, since you give forgiveness, well then you know what, we don't really need to fear you. We can just kind of do whatever and we know that you are going to forgive us. We're going to focus more on the love. Okay? But that is not what he says. He says precisely the opposite. The psalmist says, with you, but there is forgiveness. Or with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. This is the kind of fear to which you are introduced to when you are forgiven. Forgiveness is a massive gift of love that brings you in to the right kind of fear. So this is what the Bible means when it says fear of the Lord. So if there is a fear that love removes and the fear that love brings, love and the right kind of fear go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Oftentimes we think that they're completely separate things and you want, to stri- you, want to, you want to shy away from the fear side. No, they go hand in hand. They are inseparable friends. John Newton in the famous hymn Amazing Grace says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Someone may say, well, isn't the fear of the Lord and..." Kind of an Old Testament idea. Isn't isn't the case that people feared God in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament we kind of, you know, kind of graduated from that and now we've moved more into love. We've learned we've we've moved more into grace. You know, that's the that's the new covenant. That's the that's the New Testament. Can I say that the New Testament is full of fear? And it is a fear that you're to grow into. You don't grow out of it. You don't all of a sudden, you know, uh, you, know you graduate from this and oh, I'm going to grow out of this. No, no, no. You and I are actually to grow into it. The words of Mary said in Luke 1 verse 50, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The words of Jesus to his disciples said in Matthew 10, and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. How about a description of probably the New Testament church at its highest in Acts 9, verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. I mean, the churches were just exploding. They were multiplying. One of the characteristics is is they were walking in the fear of the Lord. How about our mandate as a Christian life? Philippians 2, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 1 Peter 2.12, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear... God, honor the king. The experience of John, who would have been the disciple that, uh, whom Jesus would have loved, the Bible says. He was the one that was, you know, in a sense, often closest to him. The Last Supper, he was the one that would have been you know, right, right, right next to him. Revelation 1, verse 17, and when I saw him, this is, a, uh, this is futuristic, John was in, in the spirit. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. 
I am the first and the last. Do you think you would react any differently? If you just saw the resurrected Jesus as a flaming fire, his, his eyes, that's going to connect with Deuteronomy 5 here in a moment. And he was, John's like, whoa. And Jesus says, you don't need to fear this. You don't need to fear my presence. You don't need to, to fear to be with me. So this is not a fear that we grow out of. Hear me, it's not a fear that we grow out of. We don't, we don't graduate from the Old Testament into the New Testament and we grow out of this type of fear. Religion doesn't, or doesn't it has, we haven't evolved away from it in religion. This is a fear that we grow into. We are to fear God as we love Him, and we are to love Him as we fear Him. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament make this plain and clear. John Bunyan, who is a great Puritan, he is the author of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, but he wrote an amazing book on the fear of God, and here's what he says. Godly fear flows from the sense of the love and kindness of God to the soul. Why don't you let that sit in, sink in. Godly fear flows from the sense of the love and the kindness of God to the soul. Okay, you see how these things go together? They absolutely pair together. The fear of the Lord is better described than defined. It is better experienced than analyzed. You and I, we experience this love and this care and this mercy from God. There, and what happens is, is there ought to be an awe that flows from that. There ought to be a, a, an amazing reaction to God based on His love, based on His care and His amazing mercy. There is a fear that love, the proper love, removes. And that's the fear of like you're afraid of snakes or you're afraid of this mean, nasty God. No, it's not that kind of fear. It's an awe, it's a reverence, it's a God, thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge you in my life. You're such loving care upon my life. David Wells in his book, God in the Wasteland, he describes what's wrong with Christianity today. And here's what he says. God has become weightless. God has become weightless. Here's what that means. It means that God is less compelling to many people than football. It means God is less compelling to people than fashion. It means that God is less compelling to people, less attractive than money and sex. Philip Ryken said this, it is the weightlessness, follow this, it is the weightlessness of God more than anything else that explains the failings of the evangelical church. It is because God is so unimportant to us that our worship, don't move on yet, Nick, that our worship is so irreverent. Can I just stop there for a second? If you and I, if you and I understood who God was, you and I understood him properly, we would not ever be irreverent in our worship to him. We would be very careful how we worship. We'd be very careful of, I'm not trying to pick on you because I even did it a little bit this morning, okay? 
to where, you know, where, where we're just talking through it, where we're just cavalier. No, the church comes together only really once or twice a week, and we worship God together. But God is so unimportant to us that sometimes our worship is irreverent. Okay, Nick, our fellowship so loveless. We're getting ready to fellowship. I hope you'll stay. I hope we'll genuinely love one another. And our witness, so timid. We have become children of a lightweight God. So here is my burden. Here's the burden of my heart here this morning. The church today desperately needs to rediscover the fear of the Lord. And I don't, I don't think there's a better place in all the Bible than Deuteronomy 5. That was all introduction. But good thing, the meat of the message is really, really, really short. Everybody said? That's what it means. This chapter is designed to teach us of the fear of the Lord. If you were to go back and begin to read it, and I would challenge you to do it this time, this afternoon. We don't have the time this morning. It starts with Moses rehashing the Ten Commandments. Remember, these commandments would have been given how many years prior? Forty years prior. Exactly right, Lillian. Forty years so that means most of the people, we've already, con, we've already gone through the ages. If, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, listen to it online. You give the breakdown of who Moses is talking to here. Moses is talking to a bunch of young whippersnappers like myself. Thank you. Appreciate that. So most of the people that Moses was talking to, they would not have been there when God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And so Moses is beginning to rehash those in Deuteronomy chapter number 5. That's why the book of Deuteronomy is called that. You know what it means? It means the second law. That's what the word means. And so God already gave it in the exodus, after the exodus, but now those people were pretty much all wiped out unless they're 15 years or younger. They wandered around in the desert, and now they're standing here getting ready to have a fresh start. Getting ready to go into the promised land. Getting ready to cross the Jordan River and and see amazing things. And so he says, I want to remind you of some things. And we're going to start with Ten Commandments. Now this is important. And I want every parent that's in here this morning to notice this. Moses does more than tell them the commandments. He wants them to learn about and uh, and fear the awesome God of heaven. Moses describes the scene. The whole event was terrifying. It was rather apocalyptic. You've got these clouds and you've got this fire and you've got these trumpets and you've got this mighty voice coming from, you know, fire and clouds. I mean, just imagine it. It would have been a terrifying thing. And so he's describing this to these babes in Christ, so to speak. All right? And he's, he wants them to be overwhelmed with this massive ball of fire. And I want you to notice how fire dominates what Moses says. Look at verse 22. It'll be up on the screen. These words, the Ten Commandments, the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount of the midst of the fire. Verse 23, for the mountain did burn with fire, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire, for this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. Heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived. I want you to see that the fear of the Lord 
that it's not a side issue in the Bible. It's everywhere. It is more than hearing a sermon on the fear of the Lord. It's more than memorizing a couple verses in Hebrews that He's a consuming fire, that it's dangerous, it's fearful to to fall into the hands of a living God. It's more than just learning the Ten Commandments. It is actually, here I'm about to say, it is life-transforming. Life-transforming. And I close with just a couple thoughts here. There are so many good reasons to cultivate a proper, healthy, not a fear, but an acknowledgement that God is there. There's a lot of wonderful reasons. Fearing the Lord, it'll give you wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10 says that. Fearing the Lord will keep you from sin. Exodus 20, 20. Fearing the Lord will motivate you in your evangelism. First, 2 Corinthians 5.11. Fearing the Lord will elevate your worship. You want to worship better on Sundays? Deepen your fear of the Lord. Hebrews 12.28. Fearing the Lord will deliver you from actual other fears. Psalm 112, verse number 1. But the one I want to spend just a few minutes on is this. Fearing the Lord will lead you to seek the mediator. Fearing the Lord will lead you to seek the mediator. Verse 25 of our text says, Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we shall die. That's the voice of the people. They've come to Moses. They said, Moses, we're going we're to die. And then the people said this to Moses in verse 27, Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say. And speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee. We will hear it and do it. The people said to Moses, Hey Moses, I want want you to go to God for us. We can't even even stand in His presence. We we can't hear Him. He's like a consuming fire. We're going to die. And so Moses, here's what I want you to do. Moses, I want you to go to God, and everything God tells you will listen. You be our mediator. You go for us. You listen. You hear from Him. And then we will listen to God as you speak to us. See, Moses had already been acting like their mediator. Earlier in the chapter, in verse 5, it says, I stood before the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord. So Moses had already been doing this. And so now, I mean, they're they're hearing of this fire and it's like, Moses, can you go be our mediator? Again, this is all history for these people. Moses is describing the scene back in the Exodus. And so Moses continues to be the mediator. And then Moses tells him in verse 28, And the Lord heard the voice of your words when ye spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of his people. What were those words? <laughs> we can't get... <laughs> no, we can't handle this. We're going to die. So Moses, you go. He heard all that which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all they that have spoken. It is a good thing to see the need of a mediator. 
See, when you see, and here's parents, listen to me, when you see the fire on the mountain, when you see the awesome holiness that we sang about of God, and when you see that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, when you see that God is like a consuming fire, you and I will begin to ask the question, how in the world am I supposed to be allowed to live in the presence of God? And you'll have to seek a mediator. You're going to need a mediator that is going to be sent for you. And the Bible tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. He is your mediator this morning. And so when you and I, when we understand a proper fear of God, you and I, we will run to the mediator. The fear of the Lord drives us to Jesus Christ. And the love of Christ leads us further into the fear of the Lord. See, God has provided a mediator for these individuals that were on the bank of Jordan. He provided a mediator for them. It was Moses. But can I stand before you this morning and say God has provided a better mediator for you than Moses? Moses went up into the presence of God. Jesus came down to us. You see that? Moses would go up to Mount Sinai and Moses, Moses would speak to God. And he was a great mediator, but Jesus is a far greater mediator. God came down from the presence of God to you and to me. And so you and I can live in his presence. We have a better place than Sinai to learn the fear that love brings. And that place is called Calvary. When Jesus went to the cross, the fire of God's judgment on human sin was poured out on him. All of God's anger, all of God's wrath, everything that had been bottling up for generation after generation, all of these children of Israel that would just go astray constantly, all of that sin was bottled up. All of your future sin was bottled up. And that day, some year, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on that cross and literally Jesus bore all of it. The sin of the world the wrath of God so that you and I don't have to fear God like that. Jesus is your mediator. Jesus is the one that goes between you and Him. And so when you and I have a proper understanding of God, God still hates sin. But praise God for Jesus. Praise God for His righteousness. When you mess up and you will some of you are going to mess up this afternoon. God's going to tell you to let someone else go before you to grab the burger, but you're going to go anyways. And Jesus is now mediating for you in heaven. The accuser of the brethren says, oh, did you see what so-and-so did this week? Did you see what she said, what she thought, what he did? And Jesus and in Johnson version says, I covered that father. I'm mediating right now for Ryan. My blood still stands as the powerful tool that washes away the sin. Mom and dad, don't shy away from the fear of God. It is beautiful. Because what it will do is it will push you to Jesus. I don't want to take this side of God and just put it under the carpet. No, you know what I want to do? I want to elevate it for you. It's in the New Testament. And then run to Jesus here in a moment. 
Run to your mediator. Run to the one that makes all new. God spoke heavily at the cross. And his name is Jesus. God says, I am to be feared. God says, I am holy. I am like a consuming fire. It is dangerous to, it is, you are, it's fearful to fall into the hands of an angry God. And I am thankful that in 2000 or 1992 in my life, I ran to the mediator. And I ran to the one that took all of that wrath, all of that anger on the cross. And he said, it is finished. God hasn't changed. Malachi tells us, I am the Lord and I change not. You want to know what changes? The mediator. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, don't let today go by without settling that, without trusting Him as your Savior. And if you do, believer, why are you running from God? In Jesus Christ, you're totally right with Him. In Jesus Christ, you have a perfect standing with Him. In Jesus Christ, you are seated in the heavenlies. You are are accepted. You are one of His children. So don't run this fresh start. You're on the banks of the Jordan River. God's going to call you out to do some radical things and to take some risks. Listen, you got a mediator that'll go between you and God. And when you get scared and you are fearful, you realize that you have the one that'll take care of all of the issues. And his name is Jesus. I hope that you know him. And then believer, take this the right way. I hope that you use him. Use your mediator. Run to him. Embrace him. Why don't, in a moment, why don't you thank the Father for your current mediator in Jesus Christ? That would be a great way to worship him in a moment in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed.